All right, so Joshua chapter 18, and really we've only got one more of what I think are the tough chapters to preach out of. And um, But this, this one, though, there's definitely some uh, a very good principle here that I want to talk about tonight. But let's go ahead and kind of get the facts of this chapter and see what's going on. And it says in verse 1, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. So right now we're currently at a situation in Israel where the fighting has ceased and things are basically they're in their control. Okay, But there's still a lot of Canaanites in the land. So the Bible doesn't give explicit details about what was going on, going on, but it would appear that the Canaanites that are left have realized that they haven't got a chance and they're no longer being aggressive towards them. Because... Remember, when God told him to go into the land, he's like, you know, I'm not going to drive him out all at once because if you do that, then, you know, things are going to fall apart and the land's going to get overgrown. And it's actually better if you take it little by little. And so a good way to kind of compare uh, what's going on here, you know, imagine if you would, because so let's just say we wanted to take over a town. All right. Let's just say that we were going to go as a church and just take over this town. All right. Now, the thing is, we don't really want to just drive everyone in town out. Because then their houses and things would just fall apart and there'd be all kinds of problems. But if we want to claim all this as ours, what we really need to do is just intimidate these people and get them to stay in their houses. You know, we'll let you stay in your house, but, you know, start giving us some of your money, start paying tribute. And uh, if we need something of yours, we're going to take it. You know, if we need your property, you're going to have to move. Uh, you know, if... Uh, we need money for some extra project or something. We're going to raise that, those taxes on you. And that, and then, and as long as the people aren't fighting back, we've kind of got them subdued, then it's kind of good. Now, it was God's command for them to drive these people completely out. But again, they weren't supposed to do it all at once. But what we've been seeing throughout the book of Joshua is when they came into the land, all these people, of course, are feeling threatened and they're attacking. And it would be kind of like, too, you know, if all of a sudden chi the Chinese military, well, let's say they just started taking over America. They just showed up. Now, there's, you know, they're not just going to immediately start killing everyone. You know, they probably would make an open display of intimidation and aggression. But then what they would do is they would just drop the hammer on any area that showed resistance. And so, you know, for example, if they came rolling through Chicago... You know, Chicago would probably just roll over and, you know, take it. And, and then the Chinese would probably get control of that area and stop all the shootings, <laughs> you know, real quick if, if they came and did that. But the, the thing is, though, when they start coming out to this area, let's say they started needing things around here. Hopefully, you know, we got enough freedom-loving rednecks out here that we're going to show some resistance. Okay. Now, if that happens, guess what they're going to do? While they didn't do much in Chicago, they're going to do all kinds of stuff to us here, aren't they? Because we did. We showed aggression. And so that's what they do. And often when people are taking over countries, you know, they don't always just come in killing everybody. You know, they come in just daring somebody to do something. And then as soon as somebody does something, they make an example of them. And that's just kind of how they slowly take over. That's what they're doing right now in our own government where... We're throwing out democracy. We're throwing out the Constitution. And, you know, tyranny is taking over. You know, they're not, what they're doing is they're just flexing their muscles 
and said, uh, you know what? We don't want you, uh, you know, opening your business. We need you to close for a while. And you will see where some places where they display resistance, what do they do? They start finding these places. They start going after them. You know, where people who just roll over, they kind of leave them alone, don't they? And anytime resistance pops up somewhere, they nail it, right? And, you know, that's why we need just resistance everywhere. And then you can overwhelm them. And I know, and I, as much as I'd love to talk about that tonight, you know, we don't have time for that. But uh, that's kind of what's going on is people were resisting at first when Israel showed up. But Israel was just destroying these people. Nobody had a chance. So, you know, you got the Perizzites out there. They're thinking, I sure hope the Hivites get them. But we don't want to try. So everything's quiet right now. You know, everything's quiet. So Israel hasn't possessed the land yet. They haven't driven out all the inhabitants, but they've subdued it. It's under control, you know, where uh, nobody is defying them and going against them. So that's kind of what's going on right now. So as they, uh, so this is the way things were at Canaan. The land was subdued. No one's resisting, but the land is ready for them to go and take it. And look at what it says in verse 2. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers had given you? So for some reason, Israel had just kind of started standing around and just doing nothing because it's like, all right, hey, we don't have any armies coming against us right now. And they just, Israel always had a problem with just getting comfortable wherever they were at. And there's six tribes that still haven't received their possession yet, or seven tribes. And so Joshua's like, hey, what are you slacking around for? Go get that land. It's yours to get. We still have to distribute the land to some people. We have some tribes who haven't received their inheritance yet. And he kind of had to give them a kick in the pants to get them to go finish the job. And it says in verse 4, Give out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coast on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coast on the north. Ye shall therefore describe the land into seven parts and bring the description hither to me that I may cast lots for you here, before the Lord our God. So Joshua was sending these men out to figure out how they were going to divide up the rest of the land so the rest of the tribes would know what was theirs. That way they could go and start completely taking over. And, uh, and so pretty much because the land was subdued, you know, these guys were free to just go through the land and nobody's going to mess with them. And again, you know, so if that, and that's what the, a foreign nation would do if they came out here. They'd come start check, which they don't have to check out the land anymore. They got Google Earth. They've got all these things. The government's already taken care of all that. They know what's here. They know what they need. But back then they didn't have those things. So they send these guys and they're just going through. All right, let's divide up the areas this way. Let's go tell Joshua. And then in the next chapter, we see him casting lots to decide who got the different portions of land. So basically, the land's all there. They've just got to go take it because these people don't stand a chance against them because Israel is right with God right now. Israel is right with God. If they go, 
fight any of these people. They are going to win. Now, uh, you know, just kind of skip ahead historically, Israel did not completely possess the land during this time. And unfortunately, a lot of time passes and Israel eventually is not right with God. And guess what? A bunch of problems started happening where they weren't able to handle these people because they weren't right with God. But if, boy, if they had done all back then, there's no doubt that, with, uh, that they would have won. So what I want to focus on in this message, though, because really the rest of the chapter, it's just explaining how they divided the land up. And let, you know, let's just admit it. We've not been out there. We've not seen the layout to where we know what they're talking about right there. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it, this would have been very important to them because this was the description of their inheritance for their tribes and it meant everything to them. So, I want to focus on verse 3 though where Joshua says to the children of Israel, how long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? So again, it's theirs, it's available, but they do have to go take it. There is action required on their part. And we see, though, that they did. They got comfortable. And Israel always had this problem. Turn over the book of Haggai, chapter 1. So we are hundreds of years later, hundreds and hundreds of years later. And you all know the story. Israel, they were so wicked throughout the generations. God allowed them to go into captivity for 70 years. He allowed that Jerusalem to be destroyed. The temple was gone. But then... Um, after that 70 years, God brought them back to their land. While they were in the land, during the time of the Medes and the Persians, Cyrus actually commissioned Israel. He sent people back and gave them permission and gave them funding, gave them everything they needed to go back and to rebuild that temple and repair the walls. Remember Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer? He was sad because Jerusalem lied waste. And so the king told him, you go back there and you get that work done. You go take care of that city. But here's the thing. If you go and you study all that, he literally makes it a law that they can do all these things. And Israel just did nothing. Here, this great opportunity has been given them to rebuild their city. And they just did nothing. And then eventually God sends the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. Zechariah, to go and tell them, get going. It's time to get to work. And then finally, they get to work, but then you read, you know, you read in the book of Nehemiah, when they're going back to work, now all of a sudden they're getting all kinds of opposition because they've got a new king now. And they're all trying to tell them that what they're doing is illegal and they don't have a right to do it. And if you, you know, they, letters, things went, got sent back and forth and they ended up proving that, no, Cyrus did in fact commission us to do this. But it created all kinds of problems. At the end of the day, what happened is they just, they put it off. They put the work off. They just were lazy. That's kind of how Israel was. And it says in Haggai chapter one, verse one, in the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month, in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying, this people say the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. I just don't think it's the right time for us to build the house of the Lord. That's what they're saying. Hey, we're going to get it done. This just isn't the right time. Okay? Sounds like me when it comes to house projects. You know, I'll get it done eventually. And I always get it done eventually. But then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for you, 
O ye to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now is it there now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He is getting on to them because they're not doing what they were supposed to do. And God said, you know, you've got what the things that you need, but it's not satisfying you. You know why? Because you haven't got your priorities right. You're thinking about yourself first. You're not thinking about the things of God. And because of that, I'm not allowing you to be satisfied with anything you have. I'm not letting you starve to death, but you know what? You're not full. Yeah, you know, you have things to drink, but it's not satisfying you. You know, you've, you're making money, but it's like you're putting into a bag with holes in it. You're not satisfied with anything you have. And so Haggai the prophet, he's just trying to motivate Israel. Get busy. Get to work. The opportunity is here. It's here. Now, even though this opportunity was there, there was still opposition. There still were challenges, but it, didn't, it wasn't anything they couldn't overcome. It wasn't anything that God was not going to give them the ability to successfully do. And so uh, what we need to understand, because I, I think... As Christians, I know this, all right? And I'm not just speaking for our church. I think Christianity in general, I think independent fundamental Baptists in general, we are taking for granted the things that are available for us as Christians to take, you could say, or to do. I think we're taking for granted the things that God has subdued for us right now. Because it's human nature to just get complacent and to start to slack off when it comes to getting things done that don't necessarily have to be taken care of immediately. And I think this is something that we all do. And you know what? We all need a good kick in the pants sometimes from a Joshua. You know, we all need that to help get us motivated to get some things done. And we need to learn to recognize what God has placed before us, the things that God has made available. And when we see it, we need to go after it. We need to go after it hard. Not everything that God provides is as simple as salvation. There are some things we've been called to go and to do ourselves. There's been there's some things that God wants us to increase our faith on. There's some things that are going to be great challenges. And God, but here's the thing: God has made it possible, and God expects us to get busy and to have faith and to be ready to endure hardness. And so, one thing we need to do as a church: we need to realize and we need to recognize what God has subdued for us. Because think about this. Because we take this for granted because it's been this way our whole lives. But you know what? Think, okay, think about Israel again. Not long before, Israel was literally captives in Egypt. They were literally captives. And then they were just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, completely dependent on food from God, food from heaven. God has now put them in a land. They've had great battles against great armies that they should not have been able to beat. But yet God has defeated those armies for them. And now the land is subdued. They don't have people going after them anymore. They don't have people trying to kill them anymore. They're not in captive, captives anymore. They are in the dominating position right now. Everything is available for them to go and do what God has said to do. But they're just kind of doing nothing. This is a great opportunity. Something that they would have, you know, I mean, thought was paradise. They would, they dreamt of a moment like this just 40, 50 years before. Now they've got it. And what are they doing? They're doing nothing. And think about this. We live in a country where it's legal to go soul winning. 
Now think about that. You know, for in many parts of the world, it's not like that. And throughout history, it has not been an easy thing. It has not always been a safe thing to go soul winning. Think about it. We're able to go soul winning in what are considered the most dangerous parts of our country. We're able to do that. That is, you know, our, you, you know, our land is subdued right now. It might not always be that way. It might get to a point, because it is it's getting so bad in some place in this country, pretty soon it might be really dangerous for us to go to some of these ghettos and go soul winning. But you know what? It's not right now. Right now, it's not, it's not really that dangerous. I mean, we've gotten close to shootings, but nobody shot at us. I mean, you know, Brother Aaron got a push the other day. All right? But I mean, folks, that's pretty awesome that in some of the most dangerous places, we're able to go and spread the gospel in our country because things are subdued. It, it, it's, it's not illegal to do it. That's not always been the case. We don't have to go in stealth mode. We go driving in in our, in our big white van, you know, that stands out. We all come piling out of there and with Bibles open. We're open carrying. You know, in some places you can't do that. You can't open carry a Bible without getting yourself in some kind of trouble. And yet here we have this opportunity. But what are most Baptists doing today? Nothing. I was listening to a Baptist preacher the other day talk about how Saturday is his day off. And I was like, what? Like, that's like, I thought that was like all, most churches' main soul-winning day. I mean, that's the main time I like to go out soul-winning and stuff. And it's just like, I, I thought that was weird. But I'm telling you, more and more churches, they're not doing soul-winning. They're not going out. And the land is subdued. And they're not doing anything. And you know what's going to happen? Eventually, the land's not going to be subdued anymore. And then they're all going to be, oh, I wish we could go out like we used to. Well, you know what? You should have did it when you were able to. Folks, I'm so glad I can, I can take my wife out. I can take my kids out. My daughters are able to go and knock doors and tell people about Jesus. We should be thankful for that. We're able to go and earn rewards in heaven by, by getting people saved. And we're not even in danger doing it. That's a great opportunity. The land is, God has subdued that for us. And if we're not taking advantage of that, you know, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Because one of these days, it's not going to be that way. One of these days, we're not going to be able to make videos talking about our soul winning marathon that we're going to have, where we're publicly putting out where we're going to be meeting and what we're going to be. We're not going to be able to do it that way anymore. Because if we do, we're going to have people waiting for us and we're going to have all kinds of problems while we're out there. And you know what? While we're able to do these things, we should probably be doing it. We should probably be taking advantage of every opportunity that we have. You know, we have, and here's the other thing too. This is an amazing thing, too, that not enough people are taking advantage of. We have the ability and the opportunity to reach people from any country without even leaving our state. And I'm not talking because of the Internet. I'm saying they're here. They're in our state. We go to some of these places where there's immigrants from all over the place. And whether they're legal or illegal, I don't know and I don't care. All I know is, you know, I can't afford to go and take trips to all these different places, parts of the world to give people the gospel. And let me tell you something, too. I am I'm 110 percent for mission trips. OK, understand this. I am 110 percent for mission trips and, and spreading the gospel in different parts of the world. But let me tell you something. It's becoming more of a photo op thing that preachers are doing today. 
All right, let me just call that out right now. I see these preachers who don't go soul winning in the States at all, who criticize our numbers of getting people, when we talk about how many people we got saved. I mean, how many people were out the other day? We had 30 people out when you were in Milwaukee, and there was 10 salvations. And, you know, that's, that's not a massive number. You know, that's just realistic stuff. Ah, 10 people saved. Or are they going to go to church? Well, what about when you're on these missions trips in other parts of the world? You know, where you have 10 people go out and 300 people get saved. You know, and then that's all okay. And I'm telling you, it is. It's just kind of a photo op thing. I don't think you really believe in the souling thing because I, I see it. I see you doing it where you get pictures while you're in this other country. And because it's your excuse to go and have the church pay for you to go to this, you know, trip to another country. But you don't do it here in the States at all. I don't think you believe in this. And I don't think your church should pay for you to go to this other country for a photo op preaching and souling over there when you won't do it at home. Don't, don't pay me, don't pay for me to go to another country to go get pictures of myself soloing if I'm not going with you all out here. If I'm sending you all out while well, I stay back in my office and pray for you. you know, don't, don't, even, don't even think about doing that. That's not right. And, and I've literally watched preachers do that before. I'm just going to you know, stay back and pray. Or I've I got to go visit somebody in the hospital. Really, you know, yeah, anyway, uh, but uh, don't don't get me going on that. But folks, we do, we're able to go, and I mean, you, you go to Chicago. There's communities of different people from all over the world, and places like that. So why do you got to go, you know, over to these other countries? Why can't you just do it in your own state? You know, because here's the thing too. A lot of times when they're in our state, you know, they're more likely to know the English language too. So, um, again, I'm for going to these other parts of the world and doing that. I mean, by all means, do that, especially if there is a missionary or, uh, you know, another group of believers over there you can encourage and be a help to. I'm 100% for it, but I'm just saying I see through a lot of the photo ops that these guys are going on. I I see through it. And look what it says in John chapter 12. I want to show you something here, too, because this is just kind of an important concept to understand, too, about getting the gospel to the world, Okay. You know, because getting the gospel to the world, you know, it's more than you just dragging your carcass to other parts of the world to preach. But it's basically getting that message there. And you can do that many times without leaving your country, even before Internet. And look what it says in John chapter 12, verse 15. It says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood, not as disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things that were written of him, and they that had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. So this is at Jesus' triumphal entry when all this is going on. And it mentions all these people who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and they were bearing record. It means they were telling people about it. In Jerusalem... People were talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And watch this. It says, For this cause, the people also met him, for, the, uh, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Now, what do they mean? Are, are they just exaggerating here? 
What do they mean the world has gone after him here? I mean, it's just, in, it's just Jerusalem. I mean, you know, Mark Zuckerberg had Facebook censor anything about Jesus, so word wasn't going to get out through the Internet. No, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have those things. But here's why they said the world has gone after him. It says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. These are these Greeks. They should have been letting in, but they were shutting out. Which goes along with what we talked about Sunday. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew, Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. This situation was significant because there was people here in Jerusalem during this time from all over the world. And they were hearing about Jesus. They were hearing about how he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They were coming, wanting to see Jesus. And so these Pharisees, they realized there was a danger because these people are going to go home and they're going to tell people what happened in Jerusalem. They're going to tell people about Jesus. They were going to tell people about this man that was raising people from the dead. And so when the Pharisees saw this, they saw this is going to spread to the whole world because people in Jerusalem were going to take that back home to their family. And understand, we can't go all over the world by ourselves. But you know what we can do? We can tell these people they're from all over the world and maybe they'll go home and they'll tell some more people. You know, they're, you know, they're still keeping in contact with their family members. We tell them about Jesus. They go home and they tell their family, you know what we've done? We've helped spread the gospel to multiple countries. Anytime we get these people saved in some of these apartments, like those ones we go to sometimes in the Quad Cities, and we talk to these people, they get saved. You realize... The devil's in great danger there because they now might go and tell their family what they did. You know what that's doing? That's spreading the gospel. And so when you stop and think about it, the name of Jesus has been published throughout the whole world. And it was back in that generation too. Now, understand this, okay? Because here's the amazing thing too about when you look in the, in the New Testament and see how the gospel is being spread. You know, they weren't real specific on a lot of doctrine. We were talking about that in Sunday school, how... You know, Jesus, when he's talking to the woman at the well, you know, he didn't go into a big doctrinal dissertation on salvation. He just said, you need to drink this water that I have. You know, uh, Philip uh, told the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he preached Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us everything he preached. But when that eunuch saw the water, he said, what doth enter me baptized? He said, thou believest all thine heart, thou mayest. And, you know, he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't ask him what he thought about eternal security. He didn't ask him what he thought about the Trinity. He didn't ask him about the virgin birth. He didn't ask about any of those things. But you know what? That guy believed Jesus and he got saved right then and there. The, you know, the jailer, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Okay? Now, understand, I do believe we need to get specific on doctrine, especially today, because while Jesus has been published throughout the whole earth, you know what else? Counterfeits have been published throughout the whole earth, too. So it is necessary, I think, for us to be uh, extra thorough, you know, when it comes to a lot of these things to make sure people get it. But, you know, again, if people get a clear point to Jesus Christ, you know, unless they've got a bunch of junk in their head, they can get saved from that. And that and that's why, too, like I said, on the on the COVID land presentation with each one, we just wanted to keep it short and sweet 
cover objections that people have and just point people to Jesus Christ. You know, none of any of them are like full explanations of everything about the gospel. But you know what they are? Every one of them is pointing people to Jesus Christ and trying to remove an obstacle that people might have. And people can get saved from that. And, but again, you know, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, there are, there's a lot of counterfeits out there, folks. There's a lot of counterfeits because while Christians have been busy, the devil's been busy too. But either way, I say all this to just show how people being in Jerusalem, seeing Jesus, hearing about Jesus, the Pharisees saw that as the whole world going after him because they knew they were going to go home and tell people what had happened. And that was going to have a real impact. And so listen, we, you know, we have an opportunity in our country today where we can, we can reach people from all over the world. People who probably aren't going to be here forever. People who still have contact back at home. And we should take advantage of that. You know what? I mean, I like traveling, but I don't like traveling that often and I can't travel that much. But I mean, literally, we can go, we can go to the Quad Cities. We can go to those one apartments if we decide we want to go there this Saturday. And we could probably literally go talk to people, one of us, from four or five different countries. That's a wonderful opportunity. That, that is amazing because it would take a lot to travel to four or five of those different countries. And I think we should take advantage of these things. We do have the internet where we can spread the good news. And you know what? This isn't going to be available much longer, I don't think. It's a great resource we have now, but you know what? They're getting more and more creative on censoring. And trust me, folks, they're going to get better and better at this. I guarantee, you know, it's only a matter of time and we're not going to have the internet. So while we have it, you know what we should do? We should use it. There's, and there's a lot of Baptists out there. I wish they'd use the internet. You know, they're just, you know, they're so old paths. They're not going to use the internet. They're still raising thousands and thousands of dollars for their radio ministry. That's not reaching anybody. And I, I watch these guys do this. I mean, they will have these things where they raise thousands of dollars for the radio. I know of one in particular where they raised thousands and thousands of dollars for this radio ministry and they were bragging because they had like 15 people listening online at one time. They had an internet radio and, you know, and then they had like a local and like, it's like, that's nothing. You spent all that money. It's folks, it's 2021. Lose the radio. <laughs> it's too expensive and use the internet for crying out loud. Cause one of these days we're not going to be able to do it. And uh, we need to take advantage of these things. And so uh, we do, as a church, we need to recognize those, these opportunities we have. The things that God has subdued for us, things that, you know, I mean, even just having a building like this. There are some countries you can't do that. There are some places. I mean, we're literally, we have the ability to put a sign out there that's lit up saying Liberty Baptist Church. You know, in China, you can't do that. In China, they got to meet in secret. You know, and so we should take advantage. And people do that too. You know, you have the Brian Denlingers and stuff that talk about, I don't see church buildings anywhere in the Bible. Well, I wouldn't have had a church building back then either because guess what? They'd have burned it down. But, you know, we don't live in Rome. We're not under Roman occupation. We live in America. We have religious freedom. We're able to do this stuff. And so, you know what? We're going to do that. We're gonna be, we want it to be very obvious that we are here. We put, we put ads in the phone book. We put things on the websites. We do all these things. These things are not always going to be here. Let's take advantage of them and let's accomplish some things. I think, I think, you know, sometimes it would have been good for us to have lived through 
some of these eras where they didn't have freedom. I think we would probably recognize, I, I think there's probably a lot of opportunities we don't even realize that we have things that God has subdued for us. And we just, you know, you know, we need to take advantage of the fact right now that Jehovah's Witnesses are still sitting on their lazy backsides and doing nothing because of the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's nice knowing we can go knocking these doors and the JWs weren't just there getting these people all riled up before we get there. That's been a blessing. I hope they keep this up as long as the government tells them they need to because it doesn't seem like the government's about to let up anytime soon. But it's kind of nice not having them out there. And I've knocked on a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses' doors in the last year or so. And it's nice getting to bug them a little bit instead of them bugging us. I'm thankful. This is a great opportunity, folks. And we ought to be taking advantage of it. So as individuals, we also need to recognize the things that God has subdued for us. Proverbs 10, 4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. One thing I was, I've been thinking about uh, right now, for example, right now is not a time to slack off on work. Right now is the time to be getting ahead as much as we can. Because you know, you want to know why there's so many job openings right now? Because the government's just giving money out like crazy. And so people think, I don't need to work. And so you know what they're doing? They're getting lazy. And the thing is, right now, opportunity is there. You know, and people are doing nothing with it. And folks, we need to realize that this is all going to catch up with us eventually. I mean, it's already catching up with us. That's why gas prices are so high. That's why prices are going up on everything. Inflation's going crazy right now because they're just giving money away like crazy. And then there's people out there because they're lazy. You know what they're doing? They're slacking off. Well, I'm all caught up on my bills because I got such a big check. You know, I got a big, you know, bunch of Trump bucks and Biden bucks. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to take a break right now. No, actually, you should probably be storing up right now because this is going to come back to haunt us. But, you know, you've got an opportunity right now. You've got a chance you can, make, you can make some good money. And you're not doing anything with it. You know, that's the thing, you know, with my boys at the distribution center. I mean, they're giving out, you know, they've got overtime. They're giving out all these bonuses and everything. And the thing is, my boys don't really need it that bad. But you know what I'm telling them? Take advantage of this opportunity. Because, you know, that money you're saving up, you're going you're gonna to need it eventually. You know, and especially when you get married, it's really going to go fast. But I mean, just because of the junk that's going on in this country, it's going to catch up. And so what we need to do, we need to recognize opportunities that we have and say, you know what? Okay, great. The government's giving me a bunch of money. Well, I'm going to keep working too. I'm going to keep working hard. I'm going to keep saving. I'm going to do whatever I can. Otherwise, I'm going to be, you know, he, he becometh poor that deals with a slack hand. If you're just slacking off, do not be a slacker. You know, don't be slacking off when it comes to raising your kids. Don't be lazy in your parenting. You need to take advantage of the fact that, you know, your kids are young right now. They're teachable. And it's real easy, especially if you're homeschooling your kids. I mean, homeschooling is a lot of work. And it's just real easy to just kind of slack off. Ah, you know, who cares if they're a little bit dumb, you know? And, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're going to be better than the public school kids. So, you know, nobody, no. Listen, these things are, are very important. And, and listen, especially just be teaching character during this time. And you're not teaching them any character by letting them slack off on their work. You know, you're, not let, you're not teaching them character by being lazy, letting them take shortcuts. 
You're teaching bad character that way. And I'm telling you right now, if you know, you're, if you can just develop some character and a good work ethic in your children, they're going to do fine in this country. Because let me tell you, these video game gamer loser types, they're not going to stand a chance when things get really bad. Because, you know, pretty soon we're all going to have to probably do real physical manual labor to survive. And if you've got character, if you've got a good work ethic, you'll be able to handle that. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll, but these other people, they're not going to make it. They're not going to survive. So you know, you're not doing your kids any favors by just making things too easy on them. You know, make them work hard. Challenge them. Uh, don't get late. It, it's gonna, and it's going to be work for you, too. And that's why most parents slack off. It's not because they're trying to, you know, help their kids out. It's because they're trying to help themselves out. And it is. It's a hard thing. But, you know, take advantage of opportunities, you know, to make memories with family. You know, think about the fact, too, that, you know, we're still safe right now. You know, we're safe. We're, we're free to travel from state to state without showing our papers. You know, we should take advantage of these times. You know, it's, I mean, right now... You know, we don't really have much opportunity when it comes to traveling to different countries and things. And it's like kind of, you know, miss the, I feel like I kind of missed the boat on some of that stuff. I mean, it's not like any of us could have predicted what was coming. But at the same time, you know, while we have opportunities to do things, we should probably do them. You know, don't, don't put off making good with your promises. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, when thou, thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be a sin in thee. You know, when you find an opportunity to accomplish something you need to accomplish, you know, you need to get it done. And it, this is just a part of our culture, too. I mean, we, we put off everything. And again, that's why a lot of people aren't working right now. They, they don't work until a bill collector is harassing them. And so, again, the stimulus is giving them some money to kind of get the bill collectors to leave them alone to make sure they still got their cable on. And so they don't really feel the need to work. But, um, you know, we don't want to put things off. You know, we need to get these things done uh, as quick as we can, as early as we can, uh, if you got something you need to accomplish, you know, get it done. You need to recognize the season that you're in. We saw in Proverbs 10, 5, it says, He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. There's a, there's a time, you know, for you to take a break, and there's a time for you to be working hard. Let me tell you, harvest season is not the time to be, in fact, you know, he that gathereth in summer, somebody's doing these things early. You know, you're early, you know, you're getting, you're accomplishing things, getting things done. But harvest time, that's not time to be sleeping. And let me tell you something right now, because God has subdued some things for us in our country. Right now is harvest time when it comes to winning souls. Right now is harvest time in many different areas. And we can't be sleeping right now. This is not the time to be, to be doing that. We need to take advantage of these times. You know, we know that winter is a harder time when it comes to soul winning around here. But you know what? That's why we should always keep that in mind in the other three seasons. When we're just kind of feeling like slacking off and taking a break, say, listen, you know, this is, this is good soul winning season right now. We need to take advantage of it. If we need to take a break, let's take a break in the wintertime. You know, this is not the time to be doing it. We should always keep that in mind. We should always be motivating ourselves with that. And, you know, and it is good 
to have times of rest and it's good to take a break from things. I mean, that's just a Bible principle to rest from some stuff, but there's just some times that you shouldn't rest. And definitely not during the harvest season. Turn over to Exodus chapter 10 and verse 24. Exodus 10 verse 24. Young people especially need to take advantage of the opportunities they have while they're young to learn and develop some skills and some knowledge so they can do some great things for God. Okay, kids, right now, I get it. You don't have, there, you know, there's no, you know, great pressure or responsibility. You don't have a wife and kids depending on you right now. You're depending on mom and dad. And mom and dad take care of you. They pay all the bills. And all they ask in return is that you behave and that you learn a few things. But you need to understand that while you are young, this is, this is the best time when it comes to just learning. When it com- you know, comes to developing some skills and some character. And look what it says, and in, in, this is a very important principle. I've preached on this before. But this is when Moses was trying to get Pharaoh to let him leave Egypt. And it says, Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice on the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind, for thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. So Moses told Pharaoh, Hey, we're not going until you let us take everything. Because when we go to serve the Lord, He's going to tell us how to serve Him, and we don't know what He's going to ask for yet. So we're taking everything because whatever He asks of us, we want to be ready to give it. And you know what, kids? You, you probably don't know right now what the Lord wants you to do with your life. So you know what you should do? You should leave all possibilities open. You should leave all possibilities open. Say, so you know what? You, you know, your kids might think, you know, I don't want to, I don't know why I need this math. You know, I hate this math. I'm never going to use it. Well, how do you know? God might want you to use that somewhere. God, you know, we need, uh, you know, we need good mathematicians. We need good architects and people with brains in some of these areas. Ah, oh, the other science and biology. Hey, we need good doctors. We need good Christian doctors that we can go to that won't make us take vaccines and stuff. You know, we need, we need those people in the medical field. You don't know what God's going to have you do. Well, I don't want to take these music lessons. I don't, I don't want to be a musician for church or anything like that. I, I'm not interested in that. But what if God wants you to do that? You know, and we need to think about that too. You know, all, all you young men, you know, think, I, I, I don't need to worry about how I live my life and morality and all this stuff. I'm not planning on being a preacher. Who cares if I disqualify myself? Well, what, you know, what if God wants you to be a preacher? Don't disqualify yourself. Don't go, you know, you don't know what God is going to want from you. And you should be ready. Whatever God wants from me, I'm going to be ready to give it. So you know what? I'm going to keep myself pure. I'm going to make sure I marry the right person. I'm going to make sure I marry somebody who's saved and somebody who not, isn't just saved, but somebody who loves the Lord. Somebody, somebody who's right with God. Because I don't know what God's going to expect. You know, and you'll, you'll have young people like that too. And you, you know, you need a young ladies, you need to learn because you know, too, you might, you're going to have to homeschool your kids one of these days. You know, and I've heard, I used to tell this to kids in the Christian school. I'd say those things like that. And then these girls, oh, I'm just not even going to have any kids. Okay, well, first off, you don't know that. And second of all, you know, 
God, you know, if God wants you to have kids, you need to be ready to do that. But everybody's always wanting to just make these decisions. Oh, I don't care. I'm not interested in that option. But God might want it for you. And you know what? You might as well get everything you can right now. So you know what? I'm going to learn everything that there is that I can learn in school. Because I don't know what God is going to do. I, I you, know, you think I don't need to learn that Bible. I'm not planning on being a preacher. But again, God might want you to. God might want you to. So you need to learn these things and get what you can you know, whatever you can from your parents and from your grandparents too, while you still have them. You, you ought to learn the thing, you know, learn some life lessons, talk to them. These are opportunities that you're not always going to have. You know, we should always be thinking about the future and we need to make sure we're not missing opportunities. And that's ultimately what ended up happening with Israel. They just, they slacked off. They're like, you know, I like that we're not fighting right now. You know, we're in an okay situation right now. I mean, we're better than we were in the wilderness. We're better off than we were when we were in Egypt. So, you know, I'm, I'm just content with staying the way we are right now. You know what? Let's just take a break from fighting for a few years, and then we'll go take care of the Canaanites later. But the truth was, God had them subdued for them right then. And God needed them to do it now. But you know what they did? They slacked off. And unfortunately... You know, you read the book of Judges, you know what they did? They forgot the Lord. And then, you know, the Philistines and many of the others, they got very powerful and ended up getting that, taking over them. And then God had to keep raising up judges. And you know what? Israel never fully got what God wanted to give them. Because you know, they slacked off. And so, you know, I mean, I, you know, as a pastor too, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a taskmaster and cracking the whip and just, you know, pushing everybody all the time too. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we do have great opportunities and we should be taking advantage of them right now. We should, we should be thankful that God has subdued some things for us. And we need to make sure that we listen to the Joshua's that God sends our way to just kind of give us that kick in the pants, to motivate us to do the things that we're supposed to do. Cause we are in a very uh, good situation right now, even Though it's 2021, COVID, and all that crazy stuff, we actually this it, you know it's actually become a great opportunity in many ways. You know, while we don't like a lot of the annoyances that come with it, again, the Jehovah's Witnesses are off the streets, and nobody said anything to us about us being just except a few disgruntled nut jobs at their house. But we haven't had the cop. I mean. I think I think we had the cops calling us more before COVID than we have since. I don't think it, we, when was the last time cops got called on us? And even back when the cops have been called on us, they never have done anything to us. You know what? That's that's a blessing. There was a time you read in the Bible where they would get beaten and thrown in jail for doing the things that we do. And so um, I hope this will be a help, and we'll just be thankful and not waste these opportunities because, folks, I'm telling you, it's going to go away. It's going to go away, and we need to do something about it now. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for this uh, chapter and the lessons that we can learn from it. And, Lord, I thank you for the things that you have subdued for us. And, Lord, help us to not take it for granted. Help us to realize these opportunities aren't always going to be around. Help us to recognize and see the things that you've put before us and that will go and accomplish some great things and uh, see some great victories won for your cause. In your name we pray. Amen.